All right, everybody, welcome to the Queen City Control Room podcast. I think this will be our ninth episode. Yep, episode nine. Almost, Almost double, double digits. digits. <laughs> Almost double digits. We said the same exact thing. <laughs> Great minds think alike. I think pretty much every recording up to this point, the people don't know, but I've been late for, I think. Yep, <laughs> I think so. I think so. I pretty right, much though. pick out the times and then I'm late for them still. So it happens. We, we try to just go with the flow, go where the vibes take us. So we, we eventually figure out how to get on and make it work. Yep. We're, we're a work in progress here at QCC. <laughs> we usually pick like 8.30 and then it's like 8.30 and I'm like, okay, it's time to make my coffee, get everything set up and then we'll be good to go. I just want to, I have a quick shout out before we get into the basketball stuff. I actually have a couple things I want to note since they're not directly basketball related, but one I just had a really good lasagna for dinner. So shout out lasagna. Garfield-esque. Garfield-esque. Two, did you, do you know what CJ Stroud's real name is? I only know because I saw a full interview with him the other day and the interviewer asked him. I did not know this until I heard it on another podcast and no free shout outs. So I'm not going to name the podcast here, but (laughs) I heard it on another podcast. His real name is Coleridge Bernard Stroud the Fourth. I don't know why he doesn't go by that. That's not Coleridge. a name you expect. It's a nice name. It's a lot cooler than our names. Last shout out I have before we move into NBA discussions. I'm sure you saw the news. It was all across the pretty much anywhere you can find news these days. Brittany Griner came home to the United States today. I don't know what, when exactly she arrived, but I think even by the time I woke up, the news had broken this morning that um, United mm-hmm. States and Russia had negotiated a deal. The United States released a, an arms dealer as a, in a one-for-one swap for Brittany Griner. So she is currently home, I think, with her wife right now. And I think that was 294 days she spent in a Russian prison. So... I don't know, obviously, what her plans are going forward. If she's ever going to set foot on a basketball court again, totally would not blame her if she didn't. Yeah. Um, but just really glad that she is home now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so. a good shout out before we get going. Anything you want to talk about before we jump into it? No, not really, but I can get us started off here if you want. Let's do it. Go for it. All right, so a minor follow-up from last week's episode. We talked about the refs and the technicals and the fouls and the the whole ordeal with them. I read today that SGA, Shea Gilgis Alexander, November 9th, he said in an interview or a post game or whatever, he said they asked him about the ref situation and what's going on, and he said, they're humans just like us and make mistakes. They make a lot of right calls too. And since that interview, he's led the league in total free throws at 154. And the next closest is Giannis <laughs> at 133. Oh, my God. That's unreal. I know, right? Good stuff, though. He knows what to do. He knows what to say. Yeah. I, I don't know if he actually feels that sentiment, but uh, <laughs> pretty funny. And on the topic of refs, actually, too, I'm sure this is more widely known. I hadn't known this was a quote before, but I'm sure this is widely known by some bigger basketball fans as well that uh, I saw an old interview with Kobe. I can't remember who was interviewing him or what the interview was for, but saw an interview with Kobe where he was talking about, you know, reading the NBA rules and everything. And he talked about how he would go and study the, you know, the rule book and learn the rules as far as refs go. Because the ref, the refs, the different refs on the floor have to be in different positions that are specified in the rules and everything. Hmm. So he would go and read the rules so that he knew where the refs had to be. So he could watch film and figure out where he could get away with fouls without the ref seeing. <laughs> and I think that is just that just goes to demonstrate the, you know, the the dedication, I guess, to the game uh, from Kobe. I just thought that was absolutely hilarious because who would actually think of that? <laughs> If someone was to do it, it sounds like he would. So it's not super surprising. <laughs> Pretty funny. Pretty funny stuff. Do you want to hear a uh, interesting stat? Oh, yeah. Saw, I saw 
there before tonight's game. So I don't know what, who is, I think there's only three games tonight. So probably not too big a deal, but saw a stat since we've talked so much recently about the Dallas Mavericks, try, try not to talk about them too much tonight, but it was ranking the teams that have the most wins against 500 teams or better, you know, with better mm-hmm. records than 500. Dallas has 11. They lead the league. The jazz have 10 and Boston has nine. So Dallas has 11 wins against 500 teams or better, right? They're only mm-hmm. 13. They're only 13 and 11, which means almost all of their wins came against good teams and almost all of their losses came against bad teams. <laughs> and if that doesn't define the Dallas Mavericks this season, I really am not sure what does. Wow. <laughs> That's wild. Beat the good teams, lose to the bad teams. In the playoffs, there will only be good teams, so it'll work hey. out. I mean, they have worked their way up a little bit. I think last time we talked, last week, they were, or it was just Sunday, I think we recorded, um, they were out of the even the play-in picture. But because of how tight the race is in the, across the NBA in both the Eastern Conference and Western Conference this season, um, they've actually played their way up to seventh place in the West because they're on a three-game win streak right now. So I don't know That's what's wild. going on in Dallas, but... If you're a Mavericks fan, you're just kind of along for the roller coaster ride, I think. <laughs> you want to start with the picks from last week and go from there? Get us into that. All right. I'll just um, recap mine quick and then we can you can do yours. All right. So last week the first game I had was well, I guess it was technically the beginning of this week. Either way, the first game I had was the Suns minus nine and a half versus the Spurs. And at halftime, they were up 71 to 41. So <laughs> pretty much didn't even need to watch that one. And then they won by 38. So pretty easy money there. Yeah, I'd say. And then on the other side of it, I had the Lakers plus two and a half versus the Wizards. And the Lakers were up by 18 at halftime and they won by 11. So two easy, easy games for me. A quick 2 and 0 on the week. And I'm all eyes forward onto this week. Yeah, those are two good games for you. I didn't necessarily do as well. A little bit of unfortunate news for me before the games started, but I'll start with my favorite from last week. Oh boy. I had the Celtics minus two and a half at Brooklyn. I'm actually pretty sure I said on the podcast last episode that Boston would actually win by 10 to 15 points and they ended up winning by 11. So I will take the call. Boston did snap Brooklyn's four game winning streak. They had at the time, Jalen Brown put up 34 and 10 and Jason Tatum had 29 and 11 and the Celtics were playing without Marcus smart that game. So um, I think that was a pretty defining moment for them because the nets are on a pretty good hot streak right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And the Celtics were able to really put them away with ease. And I, I think one pretty good note that came out of that was after that game, Um, Joe Mazzula said Robert Williams was also closing in on a return to um, NBA action. And then in the Celtics game last night against the Suns, um, after the game, Mazzula commented again that he thinks Robert Williams is like 10 to 12 days out. So I think once they get Williams back and Horford back, they're going to be even better than they are right now, which is crazy to say, but I think it's true. Um, Moving on to my underdog pick. I had picked the Indiana Pacers plus three and a half at Portland because, and I also said this on the podcast last week, I was pretty sure Dame Lillard was going to be out again. And it turns out he was activated right before the game started and played <laughs> and the Pacers never really stood a chance. Um, as soon as I saw the news, I knew my bet was cooked, but I couldn't change it. So I lost the bet. The Blazers won by 16, I think, 116 to 100. So I'm taking the big fat L there. The good news is that both of us moved to 10, 5, and 1. We can't seem to separate from each other in terms of the overall <laughs> records on these picks. But 10, 5, and 1, I think that's a pretty good uh, betting record. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's bad at all. It's a good place to start for the season. That's a good way to put it. I think we can move into our picks for this upcoming week now. We are recording the podcast on Thursday again, so our picks will be for Friday, December 9th's games. 
We'll have the tweet out with our picks tomorrow morning as well, in case anyone wants to follow along or answer our poll on which pick you think is the likeliest to hit. Um, a good slate of NBA games tomorrow to choose from, I think. A lot of really tight matchups. But for my favorite, I'm going to take the Bucks minus one at Dallas. I think the Bucks are just ultimately going to overpower Dallas because Dallas really doesn't have anyone to match up with um, Giannis. I think their best matchup is probably Christian Wood, who's going to come off the bench. And Jason Kidd really doesn't seem confident in Christian Wood at all. So I'm surprised it's only a one point spread. So we'll take Milwaukee minus one at Dallas. Um, Dallas is on a three game win streak, but I think the Bucks are probably going to go into Dallas's home floor and snap the streak and continue to try to make their push to catch Boston in the standings. Yeah, I think it'll be a good game. Giannis and Luca seem to play up when they're against each other and they're both pretty high on the MVP ladder as you'd think right now so it should be a good matchup primetime game did you know that back before Giannis decided to stay with Milwaukee and extend his contract the league was anticipating that Giannis was going to go team up with Luca and Dallas he should have that would have been legendary I did not know that until today when I was getting ready for the podcast, but uh, just thinking, I mean, I, I love the fact that he stayed loyal to Milwaukee. I think that's a good way to build the team and, you know, build a, a fan base and everything, but that would have been pretty amazing to see him team up with Luca and, and kind of take over the, the NBA that way. Yeah. That would have been awesome. A little international combo there. Oh Yeah. Who do you you got for your favorite pick this week? For my favorite tomorrow or today, by the time this comes out, I have the Pacers minus three and a half versus the Wizards. They're going to be playing at home. No Bradley Beal. And the Wizards have lost four games in a row, including one to the Hornets, which is a big L. (laughs) True. Facts. Um, the Pacers are seven and four at home and the Wizards are three and nine on the road. So we just got to keep the momentum and get an easy win here. I think that probably has a good chance of hitting. And I think, uh, yep. Indiana's probably going to bounce back and play, play really well. So that should be a good game. Um, for my underdog, I am going to take the Atlanta Hawks plus five at Brooklyn. I'm probably going to shoot myself in the foot for taking this game once the game actually happens tomorrow night at 7.30, but I just can't really ever get behind the momentum that the Brooklyn Nets are carrying. I know there are, I think they're eight and three in their last 11. KD and Kyrie are putting up some good numbers together now, and I know the Hawks are also probably going to be without DeJounte, but I don't know. I can't, I just can't get myself to choose Brooklyn in this instance, so. Side note, did um, you see that play? Yeah, I was watching that, which is why I kind of mumbled. Wow. Um, for the listeners, we are watching, or we were watching the number 25 Ohio State Buckeyes take on Rutgers, and Buckeyes were down two at the buzzer, and Ohio State hit a three right at the buzzer to win the game 67-66. So pretty Dang. awesome to see the shot live. Amazing. Awesome. Do you see that Trey awesome, missed awesome, practice awesome. today? I did not see that he missed practice. I hope he he doesn't miss the game as well tomorrow. Um, I do know that him and Nate McMillan got into a spat recently because Trey was having some shoulder issues and Nate McMillan told him that they wanted to limit his minutes and have him come off the bench. Mm -hmm. Trey apparently didn't like that suggestion and McMillan basically told him, you know, you can either come off the bench or don't bother showing up to the game. And this was uh, earlier this week. I don't know if it was Monday or Tuesday night's game, Um, but Trey decided just to not show up for the game. And I think I tweeted this out from the (laughs) queen city control room account, but I definitely don't, I I'm a huge Trey Stan Um, really like the way he plays the game, but I, I really don't like the approach he took. I think, especially in this NBA where everything's so tight, you have to do whatever you can to help your team get a win. And if your coach is suggesting that you just like load manage a little bit, like you're still going to play 20 minutes, you know, it's not that big a deal, but he didn't like that. He decided not to show up. So don't really like that. 
I do hope that he shows up and plays tomorrow because I think without Trey and DeJounte, the, the Hawks are probably cooked. But I'm going to take them to cover five and a half points um, yeah. against the Nets tomorrow night. Yeah, I think it's just a bad look. I mean, he's not going to the game to really obviously talk to the coach. He would pretty much just be going to support his teammates. So it's right. a bad look for him in the locker room as the leader and the guy. But they said he's questionable tomorrow now because he missed practice with a undisclosed illness today. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I, I wonder what his undisclosed illness is. <laughs> <laughs> Let me guess who you're picking for your underdog. Okay, I don't think you're going to guess it. Are you taking the Kings plus six? Who are they playing? Cleveland. No, Cleveland's okay. scary. Cleveland is scary. That's that's the only reason I didn't take them. Are they in Cleveland too? Uh, yes. Yep. yep. That's that's not gonna happen. <laughs> there's a chance that they win that game, but there's a bigger chance they lose by like twelve to twenty. Right. You got to no. be wary of the teams that are riding the the big momentum waves. Kind of, everyone's kind of waiting for the comeback down to earth game. Yeah. No, for my underdog, I'm taking the Magic plus seven and a half against the Raptors. Magic plus seven and a half? Mm-hmm. They played the Raptors last week, and they lost by 13 in Toronto, but now they have Markel Fultz back, their, their guy, their point guard. Mm-hmm. And his first game back yesterday or the day before yesterday, he didn't think he had two points or something, but obviously it's just getting your pace back and everything, your first game. On the road, they have an 8% win percentage. But at home, they have a 35% win percentage. So they win like four times as many games at home. So we just got to just gotta squeak one out here. They won four times as many games out of what their six wins they have this season? Yep. <laughs> Yeah, that's all right. They're going to win some. Plus, the new rookie of the year, the new rookie ladder came out from the NBA, and Pablo Banquero is back at number one. So maybe riding the wave there as well. And mm-hmm. maybe they come out and cover. Could be. Mm-hmm. Not bad. They Not beat the Clippers bad. yesterday. And the game before that, they only <laughs> lost to the Bucks by seven. So we just got to lose by less than seven and we'll survive. Yeah, that's pretty shocking that they beat the Clippers. I know. I think my uh, NBA champion pick is probably down the tubes at this point. (laughs) They have their guys back healthy now. They just got to start winning some. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. I don't have a... You want want to talk some player of the week action? Yeah, let's do it. I will start. um, I suggested last week, I think, that we start to put out as a podcast our own players of the week. I think it's just a fun way to you know, keep another tab on the players and the action going on from week to week in the NBA and highlight, you know, one player that we think is like really doing extraordinarily well and helping his team or is putting up monster numbers or whatever player of the week means to you. It doesn't even have to, to mean, you know, what I think common sense would technically indicate. So I'll start here. Um, might be a pretty easy one to guess given the stats and the, in the record over the last seven days, but my player of the week is Giannis. He is putting up 36, nine and six over the last seven days, shooting 64% from the field and 44% from three. The bucks are three and one over the last seven days as well with wins over the Hornets, the magic and the Kings. Their only loss came to the Lakers in that monster game from AD when Chris Middleton came back. Um, the Bucks really are on a hot streak right now, and I think that is due in large part to the play that Giannis brings to the floor every night. It seems like a pretty easy pick, but compared to some of the other stats that are out there over the last seven days, I don't know anyone that has a uh, has performed better over the last the last week or so than Giannis. So mm-hmm. my my official first nomination for Player of the Week from QCCR is Giannis Antetokounmpo. In Giannis's last eight games, in each of the games, he has more points than he has minutes played. That's a pretty amazing stat. 
And he also has more 35, five and five games than he had his whole first MVP season so far this year. Okay. I feel like you see that type of stuff everywhere at this point, like depending on the player that you're talking about, like, Oh, Mm -hmm. um, this player is, is like you just said, he's putting up 35 more 35, five and five games than he did his MVP season. I was listening to an interview earlier with Steph and the interviewer talked about how Steph is putting up better numbers that he had in his 2015 MVP season. Um, Everyone's comparing him to past MVP seasons, rightfully so. And it's just interesting because it seems like the level of play across the league this year is just elevated. You know, I guess the saying goes a rising tide lifts all ships, but it really seems true this year. That's quite the saying you just pulled out there. <laughs> I've never heard that one before. I don't even know if that's how the saying actually goes. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it is. That, that makes sense, right? A rising tide lifts all ships. Seems like it. <laughs> what do you have for your player of the week? Uh, my player of the week this year comes from the best team in the NBA right now. But it's not Jason Tatum. It's Jalen Brown. Jason Tatum had a few halves this week where he had like six points at half, four points at half, whatever. But the team was still winning the games because Jalen Brown was the ebb to his flow. He had like 25 points at halftime both those games. Boys are buzzing. They both look better than they were last year. Mm-hmm. Jalen Brown's playing more consistent, more playmaking, making more shots. And if Jalen Brown plays as well as he can and he keeps that up during the playoffs, I think it'll be pretty tough to stop the team as a whole. So if he is the rising tide, the Celtics are the ships that rise. <laughs> Love it. Apply it to everything in life now. Um, I was going to ask you this later, but I'll I'll throw it out there right now. Um I was going to ask you who you thought the best duo in the NBA is. And I guess I can probably assume that it's Jason Tatum and um, Jalen Brown at this point. But I also, the reason I was thinking about that and with the, with respect to those two in particular is because they are actually the highest scoring duo in the NBA right now. They average together 47.7 points a game. Wow. Which, you know, if you're consistently getting just about 50 points out of two players, you're setting yourself up pretty well. And I think it just begs the question, who, who is going to stop Boston this season? Short of um, any, short of any additional injuries, short of, you know, God forbid one of them rolls their ankle or, you know, breaks their leg or something like that. Especially once they get Robert Williams back and Al Horford, you know, who's going to, who's going to stop Boston in the East? Um, I think the team with the best shot at it right now is probably Milwaukee. If Giannis can put up 40 a game like he does in the playoffs sometimes, then I think it'll be a close series. If they had Chris Middleton, they might have beat him last year, but the Celtics don't look like the same team this year. That's the thing. You can compare it to last season, but the Celtics are playing loads better than they did last season. Yep. I was I don't I don't have the numbers offhand in front of me, but I was reading about the Celtics play this season a little bit earlier today. And it was talking about the points per possession and points per touch for each of the players. Like everybody's stats are up. And mm-hmm. when you have a player like Jason Tatum, who is, you know, a top five player in the league and a a, a front runner for MVP this season in and someone that good is still continually improving their game. That's just a, a recipe for success. And I honestly, I don't know. I don't know who can stop them. Yeah. I don't think anybody could right now in October, they had a, a offensive rating of 118 and we talked about it and we were like, that's an amazing offensive rating. It's the best in league history. If yep. they kept it up and then in November they had 120 and then yep. so far in December, they have 124. Right. And I saw their, I think their overall through the season is 120 collectively. Right. I think About so. That's crazy. Yeah. Pretty insane. It's just uh, going to be really interesting to see 
again, as long as they don't suffer any significant setbacks that are unforeseen, I think they're going to cruise to a pretty good record this year. I mean, we're 26 games in, so a little over quarter of the way through the season. Um, they're 21 and five, obviously. If you kind of extrapolate that out, you're looking at like what, I don't know, 60 plus wins, um, 65 plus wins, 70 wins, probably not 70, but somewhere between yeah. 62 and 68 wins. And that's, that's going to be hard to beat. Yeah. I think if you did it, it would go up to 60 and 15 with seven games left and then probably lose one or two. So it would put them at 65 and 17 or something like that, probably. So clip this section of the, of the pod once we get it done here. And then when the, when the, <laughs> or when the Celtics actually go 65 and 17 or whatever, we can clip this section and say, we call it quarter of the way through the season. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, pretty amazing to watch though. Definitely pretty amazing to watch. Yeah, it is wild. They're playing amazing right now. Um, and I think one thing that really goes to how well they're playing is that last night, I think it was the Celtics matched up with the Phoenix suns, right? Um, mm-hmm. were at the time the one seed in the West and Celtics blew them out by 27. I think they were up, um, 27 at halftime even and then just carried that lead through the rest of the game but i think it was one of those games that was just over early um and it's it's i think at that point just goes to show that regardless of how good another team can be boston has the capability to just roll them i mean again even the celtics were without a big man and and ayton looked like he didn't even know like what to do out there he looked and he's getting stripped by like blake griffin and um (laughs) Blake Griffin and Luke Cornett and everything. And, and that is not a good sign for him. Um, Devin Booker only put up 17 and, you know, we've been talking about his hot streak lately. And, and I know that the team cannot do well. It's an early season game. Maybe the team is kind of like, let's just get through this game guys. Let's regroup and we'll come back next time stronger. This is not going to be our night. Mm-hmm. And that's gotta be a little bit of an element to it. I'm not saying like the Suns played their hearts out and still lost by 27, but <laughs> still, yeah, it's just a tough just, game. Just dominated from start to finish, and and the game was in Phoenix. You know, it's a uh, Celtics are looking hot. Celtics are staying hot, I should say. Yeah, I'd say that. Did you see the end of the Jazz Warriors game last night? I didn't see it, but I saw the highlights of it. <laughs> that was insane. I'll give you a little rundown for you and all the listeners today. So, oh, they were playing in Utah, and there's 25 seconds left, and the Warriors are up 121-119, and Kaminga's going to the line for trying to throw hands with Jordan Clarkson. Mm-hmm. It's a story for another time, probably. But <laughs> And so they have a chance to go up four and pretty much close it down but he misses one of the free throws. They go up three. The Jazz go down and miss a three. And then Poole's going to the line with like 12 seconds left. And if they go up five, it's pretty much definitely over at that point. And he goes one for two at the line. And they're up by four with like eight seconds left, seven seconds left. And Malik Beasley goes down and hits a three, makes it a one-point game. And if you're still following, um, the Warriors are inbounding with like five seconds left. Jordan Poole tosses it in and Nikhil Alexander-Walker just pretty much snatches it right out of his hands and whips it down to Fontchecchio. And he lays it in with one second left and that's history. Yep. (laughs) Jazz miracle win. The yep, the Warriors somehow blew a four-point lead with 13 seconds left and lost to the Jazz, who are, you know, in their own right, uh, a decent team. So it's not like they're the magic or anything like that, but still it's hard to blow a lead that big with only that much time left. Yeah. I'd say before that game, 
When the Jazz were trailing by four or more points with 10 seconds left or less, there were one in 718. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Good win for the Jazz. Can't, uh, can't deny that. I do want to also say, in talking about the Western Conference, since that's where we seem to be you know, focused on right now, uh, with the Suns' loss last night and the Pelicans' win against the Pistons, only by six, but they still got the win, the Pelicans have officially moved into first place in the Western Conference, so shout out New Orleans Pelicans. Um, I think this is a team that's kind of like quietly snuck into first place i feel like we haven't really talked about them at all other than maybe like highlighting some big plays from you know zion or something like that i feel like we haven't really Mm -hmm. talked about the pelicans at all this season but they're 16 and 8 which is you know they're not in first they wouldn't be in first place in the east they wouldn't be in second place in the east you know if if the conferences were swapped or anything with some teams but Regardless of what it is, they're a half game ahead of the Suns, half game ahead of the Grizzlies, two games ahead of the Nuggets, two and a half in front of the Kings, two and a half in front of the Jazz. I feel like, I don't know, they, uh, I feel like the Pelicans are one of those teams that like goes through a rebuild, builds back up, goes through a rebuild, builds back up, goes through another rebuild and builds back up again. And what they've got now is, you know, Zion, Brandon Ingram, um, CJ McCollum, Jose Alvarado. Jose Alvarado. Who, yep. Jose Alvarado, who I didn't used to really be a fan of. I thought that little thing when he would like sneak out of the corner was a little ridiculous, but it worked for him. And I think it was earlier this week or late last week, he dropped 38 in a game as a career high. So <laughs> shout out to Jose Alvarado. If you'd like to come on the pod, you know, open invitation. We love to talk about <laughs> your career and where you're at and where you, where you hope to end up. But I don't know, man, the Pelicans are, uh, Pelicans are are looking pretty good. Yeah. I saw a clip the other day. Um, Dyson Daniels had nine, wait, 10 points and nine assists. And Jose Alvarado was going around and telling everybody, let yes, <laughs> let Dyson get his 10th assist. He's like, double double. Rookie needs double double, double double. <laughs> that that's awesome, though. That's that's so awesome. That's a good teammate right there. Yeah. He's a leader he, in the locker room already. He's a leader in the locker room. He's got what what I what I think he basically has, and I didn't think about this before. So tell me what you think about it. But what I think he basically has is like the spunk of Patrick Beverly, but in like a nice guy way instead of a jackass way. <laughs> yeah, he's got the spunk of Patrick Beverly, but also puts buckets in on the offensive end. Right, right, right. De- in not talking about the quality of basketball they both play because not really a big fan of Patrick Beverly, but I feel like yeah. they have the same, the same kind of swag, but Jose's got like the nice guy swag and Patrick Beverly is just an asshole mm-hmm. who, th- who thinks he's a lot better than he actually is. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so anyway, shout out new Orleans. And then one quick note that I saw, um, since we're since we mentioned Pat Bev and we're talking about or we at least mentioned the Lakers in passing anyways is the Lakers are fun fact the Los Angeles Lakers are 0 and 7 when Russ does the rock the baby celebration after a basket <laughs> so if you're Russ do you stop doing the rock the baby <laughs> i think potentially you might have to your teammates might hate you if you don't stop <laughs> I just thought that was really funny. It's one again, one of those things that's like, why is why is anybody even keeping track of that? Yeah. Someone really went through the film there. Dig that out. <laughs> I I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I do want to just mention it again because I have really enjoyed keeping an eye on the rookie class this year in the NBA and seeing how well they've played. Um, I don't know if it's because this is the first year where I've really tried to like monitor how well the rookies do and and some of the stat lines they're putting up versus prior years but um the new rookie of the year ladder came out i think this morning um it could have been yesterday but i'm pretty sure it was this morning and 
I mentioned earlier, Paulo was back at number one, number two, Benedict Matherin, number three, Jaden Ivey, four, Jabari Smith Jr. But I do just want to make clear that it's like Paulo, Boncaro, and Benny Matherin as like first tier, then second tier is Jaden Ivey, then mm-hmm. third tier is Jabari, basically third <laughs> tier is Jabari Smith Jr. and everybody else. But number four, yeah. Jabari Smith Jr., number five, Keegan Murray, who we like, like the beam. Um, Facts. and those, those are the top five, but I just want to throw an honorable mention out there at number eight, Andrew Nemhard for the Pacers, um, dropped 31, eight and 13 the other night in the, when the Pacers beat the Warriors. Um, and that's just a really impressive stat line for a rookie. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, and, and just mention how, you know, this is just another page in the book of how well the rookies are doing. And I think the league is just in, in really, really good hands going forward. Mm-hmm. Leagues in good hands. People love saying that. And I feel, I just feel like the, I feel like the, this could just be me, I guess, but I feel like the sentiment around some of the, even the bad teams though, is, is not the same as it normally is. Like the magic are what six and 20 or something like that. But mm-hmm. I feel like magic fans and even people that aren't magic fans, but just, you know, no players on the team and stuff like nobody's like, man, that magic team is, is awful. Like they're just absolute (laughs) dirt. Like they, they have good players. They are just not matching up. Well, they're not, they're not, they're, they're a young team and, and they're just not getting the wins. They're not digging deep enough and and they're still kind of figuring things out and that's okay. Someone's got to be bad. Someone's got to be a bad team in the NBA, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's, it's, really just kind of fun to watch i feel like the only team that isn't really like that is the hornets you know we have lamello but it's it's been tough because he hasn't really played this year at all yeah that's Um, true but like the magic you know paulo has been playing out of his mind um and then you have everything about um ball ball the pacers are playing really well this season contrary to past seasons with tyrese and and buddy healed and benedict matherin and and miles turner um the Kings, we talked about last week, playing really, really well. The Pistons, another team that's 7-20, and 20, but Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, Bogdanovich, um, even a couple more players that I feel like are really going to be studs in the league in two or three years. It's going to be a great time going forward. If you want to talk rookies, I have quite the bone to pick. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm going to start you with a little blind resume test here and then oh god and then I'll let you know the rest of the story. All right. All right. So we got player A. I don't know if you'll recognize the stats. Potentially, I guess, cuz I just Probably said not. it's rookies, <laughs> but oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Player A, 31 minutes a game, 16 points a game, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, shooting 42% from the field. You got okay. those? And then player B, 20 minutes a game, eight points, two rebounds, one assist, but shooting 47% from the field. So I guess just less minutes, less points, less rebounds, less of an opportunity, but slightly higher shooting percentage. Okay. Who would you add to your team? I feel like this is a trick question. I feel like everybody should be saying A right now. Exactly. We're saying A. People should be saying A. Well, player A is Jaden Ivey. Player B is Shaden Sharp. So getting on to what we're actually talking about, the Ringer put out their NBA redraft of the 2022 draft a quarter of the way through the season. Right. First off, why don't you talk about the actual games that are going on instead of drafting these players after they've played 15 games? Anyway. Yeah, that doesn't really make sense. They moved Shaden Sharp up to number fifth, drafted by the Pistons, and kicked Jaden Ivey out of there and moved him all the way down to number eight. What? <laughs> That's weird. That's really weird. I know. That's what I'm saying. He said Shaden Sharp's been playing so much better this year, just with less opportunity, shooting better percentages, whatever. But <laughs> ah, that's kind of odd to me. I mean, with Cade out of the lineup, Jaden Ivey's pretty much the most of the backcourt with Killian Hayes back there, and he's having to shoot the ball a lot, and Shaden Sharp can just kind of wait for his opportunity coming off the bench with 
all the other shooters they have. Mm-hmm. I feel like this doesn't accurately reflect. I think we're just got we just got to call out the ringer at this point. I feel like this this redraft doesn't accurately reflect how well the teams have actually been playing. No, that's yeah. I don't like that at all. Thank you. Thank you. It seems like he was just trying to get some clout from the Pistons fans. Just ruffle some feathers. Yeah, it could be for sure. That's fine though. Happens. You want to talk some Hornets basketball, unfortunately? Yeah, go for it. All right. I think last time we recorded, they hadn't played the Bucks yet, potentially. Or did they play the Bucks? The last time we recorded was on Sunday. I think that they played was... them on Saturday. Yeah, that was Saturday. So they had already played the Bucks. So we probably covered it, I think. So I guess since the last time we recorded, the Hornets have played two games. They played the Nets and the Clippers. Um, in the Nets game, they lost 122 to 116. They just got outplayed by the Nets having some better guys, and there's not a whole lot to say. I mean, they, they fought it out. They were losing pretty much the whole game, but they fought it out and tried to come back, and they kept it close. They covered at least. I think the thing for me with this game, though, is that like I saw a lot. Okay, so I follow a lot of on my personal account, a lot of um, like Hornets reporters and media figures and things like that. And I feel like the collective feeling around the Hornets in the game against Brooklyn was like, oh, this team doesn't ever stop fighting. Like, you know, this team really put up a good show tonight and unfortunately just weren't able to get it done. (laughs) And I think it's just for me, like I, you know, not renouncing my Hornets fandom. It's still my favorite team in the NBA to follow. And I think eventually they're going to get their shit together and it's going to be fine. But for me, I feel like with how bad the team has consistently played over the last couple of years, but especially this season, I just feel like I never got to a moment in the game where I felt like there was a legit chance that we were going to win. Yeah, And it's, it, it's, it's just disappointing to watch a team and feel that way. Um, I don't know, like even tying it up, going to overtime and, you know, seeing how that kind of played out. I know we ended up losing by what was, we ended up losing by six points, I think. Um, Mm-hmm. But even even when it was tied and even when there were moments when the Hornets were up by just a little bit, I never really felt like, OK, like this team is confident enough. This team is good enough that we can actually pull this out. We can fight. We can fight till the end. I don't know. I feel like there are a lot of people in like Hornets Twitter and Hornets media that are. Like puffing the team up a little bit, and I just don't know that that's the right, I think, approach to take as a fan. But again, that's why. I, fans are so different and in, in the way that they approach the game, it's still a lot of fun to watch a team play, but if you have any sort of expectations, whatever whatsoever, I mean, um, you know, I think you're just constantly disappointed. That's the right way to go about it. I think, I mean, you can't really let them off the hook for playing horribly all these games, even if they don't have players, it's still the front office's job to make the roster better. And they did a horrible job with it so far. But, yeah, I don't know. A lot of Hornets media is calling for Michael Jordan's head at this point as the owner. Yep. So I don't really know if, if he'll do anything about that or if he's kind of just ignoring it at this point. I would imagine probably ignoring from him not saying anything. Yeah, I would say definitely just ignoring it. I don't think he really gives a shit what people are saying about him. Um, just given his like ties to the state, even like no one's ever going to do anything about him and in the way that he runs the team. I think there are like a few bright spots, I guess, if we want to focus on maybe some of the actual positive coming out of the two games that have gone over the last week. Um, in the first game against the Clippers on Monday night, Kelly Oubre put up 27, PJ put up 26, and Terry Rogier put up 22, showing the showing that these three have the capability to score, but like, even when they're Mm -hmm. all hitting, even when they're all hitting, they still can't even beat the Clippers who are losing to the magic right after that. 
<laughs> and then in the game against the Nets that we just talked about when they lost in overtime, um, Kelly Oubre put up 28 and Terry put up 29. PJ only put up 12, but Jalen McDaniels put up 19. And so I think a shout out goes to Kelly Oubre, um, Tsunami Poppy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think he is showing that he can actually play well last year. I think his minutes were kind of spotty and he didn't like that. And I think it showed when he was on the floor because he played so hot and so cold and really was never consistent. And you just couldn't count on him to be an effective player on the floor. But this year he's really kind of stepping up in, in LaMelo's absence and with all the injuries to the team and showing why he still is a, a legitimate NBA player. Yeah. Agreed. I think you should go ahead and mention the bat signal memes we've been shipping out. <laughs> uh, yes, there is a meme that we've been tweeting out after every Hornets loss. Um, there's a there's been this question for the Hornets basically since game one tank to tank or not to tank. That is the question. And so. As we've been debating this and Josh and I have been talking about this internally off air, you know, what should the Hornets be doing? had this idea to come up with uh this bat signal meme and we've seen it elsewhere on twitter with respect to other teams so i'm not going to pretend like we came up with it ourselves but it's basically the bat signal meme and josh and all of his creative licensing (laughs) photoshopped a picture of victor Wembanyama's head on the picture where the bat signal would typically be and it is to signify that the only person that can save the charlotte hornets at this point is victor w yeah, I think we need we need to bring him home. And, you know, I, I received the message. It said, I think we need a meme. I think we need a meme. Get it out there. And I said, say no more. And two minutes later, <laughs> I had that in your inbox, and we were sending it. Full send. I, I would say two minutes later, not only did you have that in my inbox, <laughs> but you, had, you gave me about seven different <laughs> options to choose from. So... I, I like that our, our artistic team is really on top of their game right now. Our artistic team being only the other co-hosts of the pod, <laughs> um, but it's out there. We like it and honestly wouldn't be opposed at this point, especially with how bad they're doing and the, the unlikelihood that they're ever going to actually qualify for the play in at this point, you might as well just say sayonara and, and try to do what you can to land a good player next year to pair someone up with LaMelo. Yeah. That would be, would be pretty amazing um and while we're on the topic of the hornets before we move on i do just want to call out dennis smith jr he's injured right now um i think he's got an ankle sprain i feel like there's so many injuries i can't keep them all straight but dennis smith jr battling an ankle sprain still out for tomorrow's game against the knicks dennis smith jr tweeted out his top three christmas movies um (laughs) and his were eight crazy nights Friday after next and how the Grinch stole Christmas. And I just have issues with that list because I feel maybe, I don't know, you know, every, everybody's different. Everybody's different in what they like to watch, but I just wanted to throw this out there. I figured maybe you would want to include your top three Christmas movie lists, but mine are national lampoons, Christmas vacation, <laughs> grit, the Grinch classic, the Jim Carrey version, of course, of course, and then home alone one home alone. Two is decent. And then, you know, with every subsequent version, it just gets worse and worse. But the first version of Home Alone is my third favorite Christmas movie, even though Josh Hart, for whatever reason, tweeted out that <laughs> Home Alone is not a Christmas movie, which is an absurd take. Yeah. Yeah, you can't be saying that. I mean, you can't be much more of a Christmas movie than it is. And I think it's a great idea. We just got to we got to spin into this. I'll give you my top three Christmas movies off the dome. I've been thinking about it a little bit just in general with the season, but yep, I can't give you a one, two, three, but I can give you a top three, no order included. I think my top three would be Christmas with the Cranks, All-Timer, The Grinch, Jim Carrey version, obviously. And the third one has to be Don't, don't get into our DMs, but the holiday, all-time movie. Okay. 
I, I honestly thought there would be a little more crossover on our list, but you know what? We got the Grinch there and I have to add some movies to my watch list this season. Bex, get them on there. We'll get out our, our top threes here. We'll get them on the social. So if you're not following, you're missing out. <laughs> I love it. See, we, we here at the Queen City Controller Room podcast, we, we do more than just basketball. We're really connoisseurs, if you will of a variety of different topics and really, you know, tuning into our episodes, you can, you can never really know what you're going to get. And that's why we are, you know, that's why we are who we are. You're never going to know what you're going to get because we never know what we're going to give you. (laughs) Facts. We have a little break in the action now. Let's take a moment, acknowledge our new partnership with the podcast. Queen City Control Room podcast is officially brought to you by SeatGeek. SeatGeek is a digital ticket selling platform that connects fans to the experiences they crave. Through SeatGeek, you can purchase tickets to concerts, sporting events, shows, really anything of that nature. Josh and I have both used SeatGeek to purchase tickets before and found the experience to be pretty seamless it's a good easy way to purchase tickets to your favorite events that you want to attend so we're really excited to begin this partnership and build upon it going forward through our code qccr you can get 20 dollars off your first purchase so go to the app store now download SeatGeek, and go ahead and purchase away and with that we will kick back into it here We've got a whole nother recording here without the Spurs winning a basketball game. Four straight. That's pretty amazing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how a team manages to be this bad. Um, Spurs are officially at the bottom of the Western Conference. I think they've been there actually, but it's kind of a tight race for the bottom. They're six and eighteen. The Rockets are seven and seventeen. Um, but like you mentioned, the Spurs are on an eleven game losing streak. They have the worst point differential in the NBA. They're the only NBA team with a negative double-digit point differential. They're minus (laughs) 11.8. I don't even know. The next closest is minus seven. That's the Pistons. (laughs) So they're they're the worst by four points plus. Uh, Pretty, it's honestly kind of amazing and incredible that they've actually been able to put together this, this thorough of a losing streak. At some point, you have to win a game. They're winning tonight's game right now, but it's close. See if they can pull that one out. It's impressive. I don't. They, I feel like there's not even anything to say about them, I guess. Um, I don't know. I feel like as a Hornets fan, we kind of have it pretty bad. But then I think about, like, we're not even the, the third worst team in the NBA, the fourth worst team. <laughs> so pretty amazing. Yes, you are right. The Spurs are technically beating the Rockets right now, but you know, they are right next to them in the standing. So I guess it should be a close game. We'll see what ends up happening. There's eight minutes left in the third and the Spurs are up three. Um, I did see that the Spurs are currently looking to ship Jakob Pertle out right now. And I know he's not playing tonight with a bone bruise in his right knee, but they're demanding multiple first round picks for Jakob Pertle. And I feel like he's one of those players that if you kind of already have an established team, Pertle can maybe put you over the edge. Um, he is a decent player, but I don't think he's the the caliber of player that's that should command multiple first-round picks. Yeah, I don't think so either. I feel like the Spurs are just getting a little bit greedy. Obviously, they have their eyes on Victor Wimanyama, and I think they're thinking that if they can get multiple first-round picks, even if they don't land the number one pick in the lottery, they can trade maybe up to the number one pick by shifting, you know, multiple first round picks in that type of an exchange. Maybe I'm not really sure what's going on, but man, the Spurs are bad. (laughs) (laughs) There's one more team I need to call out. Go for it. We're going to write a a very harsh email to the Milwaukee Bucks. We have to. Oh boy. Yep. Yep. The Kings played in Milwaukee. Kings took an L. And the oh, Bucks, I know where this is going. <laughs> and the Bucks put on the big screen that they were lighting their own beam. Like, they'll light a green beam. 
you can't do that. I mean, the I, Kings are trying to clown themselves by having a thing like this, and it happens when you lose games, but it's a bad, it's a bad look from my perspective. You can't be doing that to the the beam team, clowning them like that. That's just rude. It's disrespectful. It's, it's Sacramento Kings. Come on, like. This is the first time in decades that they've been able to like celebrate like this. Like let, <laughs> let them have the beam team. <laughs> Since last week you declared QCCR as an official backer of the beam team. I do think we have to stand with Sacramento and slide into the DMS of every single Milwaukee Bucks player, the coaches, <laughs> Mike Budenholzer, the owners, the GMs, really anybody we can get our hands on our, our, uh, our figurative hands, not our actual physical hands. Another team I do want to shout out tonight. We talked about the Bucks and the Kings just now, but another team I do want to shout out is the Memphis Grizzlies. You know them as the number three seed in the Western Conference. They're tied with Phoenix actually for second place, but because I think of head-to-head tiebreakers, they are in third. They sit only a half game back of the Pelicans. They're on a four-game win streak, and they're seven and three in their last 10. A really, really good team led by John Morant. And I want to shout them out not for their basketball capabilities which are as we all know superb but because of the care and the love that they show each other on the court and off the court but in this instance on the court Uh, we tweeted the video out this morning i believe but there was a video going around after the grizzlies game that occurred last night against the oklahoma city thunder in which the grizzlies won by 21 points and jaw put up 26 11 and 13 Ja was on the court with his daughter and there were like four or five Grizzlies players that were all hitting the gritty with Ja's daughter. And I think that's just a lot of fun. We talked kind of talked about this like culture and I think culture is this really big thing across the NBA, but we talked about this kind of like culture of having fun last week when we were talking about Deandre Ayton and potential trade destinations for him and, and whether he was going to stay with Phoenix. And, and I know that you mentioned like the players kind of like dance together and, and with the fans and stuff. And it's just a lot of fun to be a member of that team. And I think the same thing probably applies to this Memphis team. I know that they're all super tight with each other. Um, and so it's just a lot of fun to kind of see them going through this. And it was just a really like heartwarming video of, of the Grizzlies players doing the gritty or hitting the gritty with Jaws daughter. So really fun to watch and it made me it made me um like the grizzlies more than i already did so shout out to the memphis grizzlies shout out to john morant and the rest of the team they're a fun team to support right now grizzlies are balling on and off the court Jow is an early adapter of the gritty so I'm sure his daughter has been seeing it for <laughs> months and months and months <laughs> at this point. So I'm not surprised she was doing it. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. I just, I really enjoy it. I think it's awesome. Um, but I do actually, <laughs> now I don't want to shout out. I want to call out Charles Barkley. Um, <laughs> there was a quote going around from Charles Barkley uh, where he called Jason Tatum, Jason Taylor. And I feel like <laughs> as a prominent uh, analyst of the NBA and analyzing a game in which multiple MVP candidates are playing. Mm-hmm. You probably should know the proper names of the players you're talking about. So big L for Charles Barkley calling Jason Tatum, Jason Taylor, even though yeah, same last name as us, we could claim, you know, some sort of relationship there, but we are related okay. to him, but I, I digress. Yeah, in the post game, if the game starts at 10 p.m. Eastern time, they're recording in Eastern time, NBA on TNT. The game gets over at like one or one thirty, then they're recording the post game at like two in the morning. I could see how he could potentially make a mistake. It's not his first time doing something like that. Doesn't take yeah. away from the NBA on TNT show. Still the best show out there. He's goofy. He's goofy. We'd rather have him mispronouncing the names than a boring analyst properly pronouncing the game's names. Very, very true. No, NBA and TNT, I love them. I think they're really funny and good good way to capture the game, and, and, and they can always look forward to that. So not a, uh, 
not a serious, you know, party foul for Charles Barkley. Just extremely funny to see him call him Jason Taylor. I want to I want to mention one more thing. I think it's the only thing I have left on my list in terms of substantive content for this past week. But one thing I like talking about week to week is the, you know, race for the MVP. And we don't have to spend as much time on it as we typically do. But I brought up the basketball reference MVP tracker. And I think last week it had Jokic at number one by a pretty good margin. And then Jason Tatum, then Luca, then Giannis. It now has Giannis at number one with a 25.1% probability of winning. Luka in two with a 24.9% probability of winning. Then Jokic in three, Jason Tatum in four, Donovan Mitchell five, and Devin Booker's not in the top 10 anymore. Probably because he only put up 17 in that game against the Celtics, but yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like this is... Uh, a lot of movement in the MVP race for only recording like four or five days later. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I guess they're probably seeing the same thing I did with Giannis being my player of the week this week. You know, Lucas still putting up big numbers and the, the Mavericks are on a pretty hot streak right now. Denver's playing really well. And Jason Tatum, obviously with the Celtics is playing well. Um, They do have Zion Williamson at number 10. And, you know, I guess he's putting up decent numbers. He's putting up, 24 mm-hmm. 7 and, and 4 I guess so yeah I don't know I feel like it's gonna be, turn into an even more interesting race than it already was I don't know the thing that I would like to know is how much do the players actually like pay attention to this stuff pay attention to this stuff as the season is progressing right like everyone knows MVP is on the line or on the horizon as well. Um, I'm sure players would love to make an all NBA team, especially because so many contracts allow for like many more millions of dollars if you make an all NBA team. So there's that added incentive as well. But like, how much do the players actually focus on like end of season awards versus just like going out night in and night out and trying to get a win? It's a good question. I don't think. I don't think they focus on it for the most part, but I'm sure they hear about it. I mean, a lot of them get done with their games and go home and watch all the other games that are going on or keep up with them at least. Right. They probably know how they compare to the other players. So I would imagine they could figure out where they are in the races for the most part. That's true. That's a good point. And I'm sure a lot of people like, you know, probably do see stuff that's said about them on Twitter and, and, you know, see the MVP ladders and see the MVP trackers and stuff. So I'm sure they are at least aware of it. But on this note, to the following players, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, John Morant, Anthony Davis, and Zion Williamson. If you would like to come on the podcast and talk about your thoughts and, and the awareness of and or focus on MVP awards and all NBA teams, you have an open invitation to come on. Just slide into our DMs and let us know what day and time works best for you, and we can make it work. I do also want to mention because you mentioned that players do go home and and watch basketball, and I think that is largely true. Um, But for some players, I know it definitely isn't. There was an interview that Kawhi Leonard gave once where he said he doesn't watch any basketball outside of the games that he plays in. And the reason that that stuck with me is I had a note that I wanted to bring up and never got a chance to yet in the episode. So I'm just going to throw it in now and talk about players that are disappointing for any reason or no reason or for any points that you want to raise. But I think Kawhi Leonard has got to be one of the most disappointing players, at least in recent, like in, in recent history. And by recent history, I mean, like in the last season or two. Obviously, you got to feel bad for the guy missing the entire last season, right, with his injury and, and missing so much time this season with his injury. But the thing that's disappointing about it is it feels like he doesn't actually want to play, I guess. And I don't know how much of that is him versus how much of that is the doctors. But what I'm getting at is I think by and large across the league, nobody treats Kawhi Leonard like they do other players who sit out big time with injuries like Anthony Davis nobody can take seriously because everyone thinks he's just fragile and is just going to get hurt. Anytime he goes into the game, 
Clay Thompson missed all of that time with his what ACL multiple ACL tears, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think people kind of feel the same way about him. Players who are consistently injured just kind of get this like, um, like, I don't know, like a negative tag that they're never going to be what they once were. And I don't think that Kawhi Leonard gets the same treatment. And even when he's played this season, he hasn't had the same impact that, you know, you expect from Kawhi Leonard. And I think it's, he, he's just kind of become a little bit of a disappointing player for me. And I think the NBA community as a whole probably needs to get, start giving him the same treatment that other players in similar situations have also gotten. Yeah. I think it's hard because so many guys are so outspoken when they're sitting on the sideline and at home, but Kawhi is absolute quiet at right. all times and doesn't speak out and doesn't really give much information, which is fine, but it comes up to hurt him sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And, and part of, I guess, part of the frustration for me is, I guess, not even something that Kawhi can control, right? Like he can't control how the NBA community treats him when he's sitting out, but I imagine that the Clippers are frustrated that he has been only available for like five of the 29 games they've played in this season or something like that. And he can't help how the, how the NBA community treats him, but I feel like there has to be some more like, is Kawhi Leonard ever really going to play any significant minutes ever again? I don't know. Yeah. And on that note, moving from talking about a potentially disappointing player to talking about, you know, what's to come in the future. I think that just about does it for episode nine of the Queen City Control Room podcast. Next time we talk, we will be officially in double digits. And that's really, really exciting because for both of us, this was really something we've kind of kicked around for quite a while. And I think there's a lot of people that start podcasts and maybe put out an episode and then don't really stick with it. It's not something that people can like really allocate the time to. And I'm just really excited because this is something that we've stuck to even through the busyness of the holiday season. Sometimes we're up until 1230, one o'clock in the morning recording an episode because that's the only time we can really fit it in. We're both busy with our schedules. I have a one-year-old. We both have very busy lives. And the fact that we're still finding the time to to allocate and dedicate to the podcast just because we want to put the content out there and continue to have these conversations is something that I'm really proud of. And and like I said, we're going to be in double digits next week, and that's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. That said, we are always looking for feedback. We want to continue to improve. So if you could, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, wherever you get your podcasts, and like, follow, subscribe leave us a review, leave us a comment. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know how you think we could improve. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Queen City CTRLRM. You can also email Josh and I here at the show at queencitycontrolroom at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts there. And going forward, don't forget to use our code QCCR in the SeatGeek app for $20 off your first purchase. We'll talk to you guys next week.